0: Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuyper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified.
0: Francisco Jameson, Child and Youth Services Division Chief here at Fort Meade, joins us to discuss the future of childcare. Fran?
2: Thank you both for having me on to provide me the platform to kind of update the community on our childcare circumstances.
1: What does child care at Fort Meade look like right now with COVID going on?
2: COVID obviously has been um, very difficult for everyone and child care has been right at the center of that. Um, with all of the health precautions that we are having to look into right at this point, we've had to be closed for the past uh, 10 weeks and as a matter of fact, child care is still closed here at Fort Meade at this time um, as we continue to monitor What's going on in the Greater Anne Arundel County and uh, Maryland, uh, the corridor closest to the garrison? So right now, child and youth services, uh, when the when the decision is made to reopen, we will be very much limited by uh, social distancing. You know, we were providing over a uh, thousand child care spaces before COVID, and we anticipate when we reopen, uh, totally uh, under HP Con, Charlie or Bravo, we will only be able to offer probably close to 430. 445 somewhere in there in terms of childcare so that's you know that's cutting a great deal of childcare spaces in a community that already had a waitlist for childcare so uh, none of that really is good news I think right now what we can only do is be as transparent as we possibly can Uh, the childcare capacity has diminished and right now we are going to be providing childcare for mission essentials specifically those that are either CYS direct care staff members or uh, service members, you know, active duty or single or dual military, uh, is the primary focus right now for childcare.
0: I think one of the biggest questions uh, the community has right now is how how are those how are those children chosen?
2: Yeah, so we have the you know the Department of Defense has a, a priority system currently in place um, in order to figure out how to determine who gets childcare. Um, right now, the highest priority is child, uh, children of our direct care CYS staff. I mean, uh, we need caregivers to have child care in order for them to provide care to others. And then right behind them would be our single and dual military. Um, so those are the two highest priorities currently, and then followed by uh, active duty with a working spouse, and then single and dual DOD civilians, and then the DOD civilian with a working spouse. So kind of that's the, the top five pecking order. With the cut in childcare spaces due to COVID, um, we we believe right now we're going to have enough capacity to take care of the first two priorities: CYS staff and uh, single dual military. And then we may be able to t- to take in some of our active duty with the working spouse. Uh, but that's kind of how how it looks right now. When you drill down even further, Joe, if we started to have ties, you know, between people, we would we would look at you know uh, seniority, you know, the people who are already registered with CYS and, and have been with us for quite some time would be the ones that would get care uh, versus somebody who's, who's brand new per se.
1: Is there any special uh, process that they have to go through to get that approval? Anything a little different now that we're dealing with COVID?
2: So Colonel Sprague has asked that they um, provide us with a mission essential form uh, that we provided to our current patrons. You know, we had over a thousand. Each of them were emailed this form and they were uh, asked to turn the form in by a certain date. And then our Parent Central Services staff will kind of rack and stack those forms, figure out who gets prioritized based on the priority that I just mentioned. And then we will contact those patrons who are going to be able to get uh, childcare once the decision is made to reopen. So uh, that's the the process right now. That'll change, obviously, as, um, again, we reopen and there's actually gonna be an additional um, change in the priority placement of, of childcare effective September 1st. You know, The Secretary of um, the Army put out new guidance that will be effective September 1st and that priority basically in a nutshell without getting into every detail because it's really a long document, but essentially what's gonna happen in the future uh, is military will have the highest priorities uh, for childcare except for, of course, the CYS direct care staff. But military, uh, single and dual, and then military with a working spouse will will have the highest priority. They'll all be part of priority number one. And then DOD civilians would be priority number two, uh, both single and dual DOD civilians. So basically, we're looking to have more military in childcare spaces uh, than civilians, and and that's what childcare for for the military was created for. So uh, we're in full support of that kind of a uh, thought process and that'll come out again in September um, Right now in front of us obviously is just getting through COVID and HVCon Charlie and Bravo, but in the You know the distant future. That's going to be the reality for child care
0: Okay, and and so what kind of timeline are we looking at for when we'll reopen?
2: That's a million dollar question Um I can't answer that with any certainty. Um, I think the Colonel has been very transparent through all of his town halls that he's monitoring the the situation um, in terms of uh, looking for 14 clear days of down trends in COVID and uh, folks that are being either admitted or folks that are being um, infected. Um, We're starting to see some of those trends go down um, he'll make a decision probably, uh, you know, pr- providing CYS a week or st- a two of, of, of notice so that we can get in contact with our patrons and, and get ready to go, but I don't have a date for you, Joe, uh, to be quite honest, um, specifically. Um, but what will happen, there is a 3 prong plan, you know, a three-phase plan. Uh, phase one, once he decides to reopen, we'll reopen Child Development Center three and we'll reopen School-Age Center one uh, for the CDC kids and then our school-agers. And then we'll wait about two weeks. You know, I we'll wanna see how all that goes in terms of all the new requirements, the social distancing, the curbside drop-off, and all the things we have to do now based on, on uh, COVID. And then two weeks later, we'll open the two additional buildings, CDC one and then School Aid Center two. Uh, we'll wait about two more weeks, see how everything is going. And then finally, we'll open our last remaining buildings, which is the Youth Center and CDC four. And by then, about six weeks would have pass by and we would have seen how things are going and we'll we'll go from there. Once everything is reopened we'll have about four hundred and fifty kids in, in child care. Now I, I did mention I did forget to mention family child care. So during phase two we'll open our family childcare homes um, and they'll provide childcare also. Um, these are the, the home based um childcare that's offered through homes on the on the garrison, uh, Corvius homes we would certify the provider, the, the adult living there uh, to provide child care. It's also a wonderful opportunity for someone to work out of their home. So, you know, another, you know, unfortunate c- uh, circumstance during this uh, COVID pandemic has been people have lost their jobs. So, you know, this is an opportunity for someone maybe in the housing area who um, wants to provide uh, a service to the community. We are still taking new FCC providers, and you can contact us at that same number, 301-677-1149, and someone from the Family Childcare Office will get in touch with you, and it's a process. You'll, you'll get trained, um, your home will be inspected, you'll go through some background checks, but it's an opportunity to earn you know, up to $40,000 a year in, in childcare, so um, that's a great opportunity for someone to watch their own kids while they take care of somebody else's kids and help us with this wait list
1: how many um, family um, child care homes do, you, do we have on Fort Meade right now?
2: We have seven right now with two opening this summer um, for a grand total of nine, but we, we've had, in the years past, we've had over 40 homes. So uh, it's, a, it's just a way of uh, providing child care a little outside of the box, and we have the capacity to have, you know, 40 homes again if, if we had enough interested um, providers.
1: Is there any um, like quick things that if somebody's sitting at home listening to this thinking, I could do that, any quick things that they need to have, um, certain number of kids they have to be able to watch, any kind of basic requirements like that that they should know?
2: Sure. So family, family child care, uh, we would really, you know, those homes uh, cannot have more than six kids in them at a time. Um, so, you know, if you already have six kids of your own, you'd need to talk to us offline to figure out how that would work. But for the most part, um, we're looking for people who have uh, open hearts, who who love working with children. Um, we have a, a huge curriculum that we will train you on and work, you, work with you on. Um, your homes will be inspected just like our CDCs are by fire safety and other proponents on the garrison. We have a wonderful new FCC director in Jessica Bull. Uh, she'll reach back out to you if you're interested and work with you hand in hand and side by side. Um, but I just think that FCC has the potential of being really special um, as as part of the way ahead to provide childcare uh, the, the right way. Because what we don't want on the Garrison, as a result of, of folks losing childcare, is unauthorized care. And that's another thing I want to make sure I get across before we leave: is um, you really should not be providing more than 10 hours of of care. So you're not talking about babysitters. You know, if you're a babysitter you're, you're, and you're watching someone's child for an hour or two here or there, that's perfectly understandable. But you know if you're watching someone's child for you know eight hours a day, um, you're you're it's unauthorized. The garrison commander has a policy about child care. It's extremely important. Um, for anyone who's in child care, you'll know uh, children are are very um, difficult to watch sometimes and and it doesn't take very long for something bad to happen. so we want to make sure we keep everyone safe. Please, if you are someone who is interested in providing care in the community, do it the right way. Go through family child care. Become certified. Um, we will we'll pay you to we'll, – the providers will get paid by the, the patrons the right way. Just do it all the right way. Keep children safe.
1: And, France, so with us cutting – drastically already cutting this um, amount of child care that, that you'll be able to provide, what are we telling – the families who can no longer get child childcare. Um, Cause I'm sure it's gonna be very difficult for those, especially for those uh, civilians and DOD employees who also need child care to be able to come to work and do their jobs. Um, is there any like uh, relationships without, in, in the community that we're working with to help them find childcare?
2: Yeah, you know, the, we're tracking, you know, that this is going to be very difficult for many of our families. Um, throughout this process I mean, when you're cutting by almost you know two-thirds the child care capacity you know the harsh reality is that cyS will not be able to accommodate the over thousand children it normally does uh, it'll, it'll be closer to you know 450 but we are going to provide information to our current patrons and, and the community um, if they need child care we, we will provide them with some uh, contacts you know child care aware is one of the, the biggest ones that they can use. And that's childcareaware.org and we also would provide them with information to the maryland family network which is marylandfamilynetwork.org but bottom line up front you know if a patron is listening to this podcast and they they have questions comments or concerns i would direct them to our parent central office they can call us at 301-677-1149 and just discuss your situation with our staff you know they're we're limited in what we can do in terms of our staffing. Obviously, right now with COVID, but uh, just be patient with us. If you get a, a busy signal and, and a voicemail, leave your information. Someone will call you back, and we'll walk you through it. You know, We're here to serve the community, uh, even during these trying times, and trying times to come. I mean, daycare is going to be very difficult. It was very difficult before. It's going to be even more difficult now that we are restricted in how many we can spaces we can offer, uh, and then with a new priority placement coming up in the fall coming you know the one thing we haven't mentioned yet also is the schools you know we haven't talked schools yet but that's a big decision that has to be made um, from the the state superintendent and how schools will look will also affect childcare obviously because um, with the children out of school right now that's put a burden on some parents to uh, either telework from home uh, or find some alternate childcare for their children
1: Right, and and it may be a little while until we know what the schools are going to look like come fall, um, but just for clarity, because yeah. even just for my, for my own sake, when we get back to, I guess it would be no HP con, is that when childcare will open up as we used to know it or will we never see childcare the way we used to have it before?
2: Wow, you've asked me two million-dollar questions in the same interview. Um, that's the second million-dollar question. Honestly, I cannot answer that question. It's it's just too early in the process. I hope and you know I pray that everything will go back to normal, whatever normal will look like. You know, much closer to that thousand childcare space number than 450. Um, that's our hope. That's our our wish and our desire. Um, and HP con zero or you know would be great and we would be able you know we have a, a vaccine and and everyone's back to normal. Yes, my guess would be we'd be back to serving as many kids as humanly possible. Um, but in the interim, uh, we're just going to work with what we have. Uh, one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is CDC 2 uh, has been closed for the better part of three years for renovation. Those renovations are almost complete and the plan was to then shut down CDC-1 after we move all of those kids over to, to the CDC-2. Well, because of this pandemic, we're discussing right now with uh, Command Group and DPW the potential of not shutting down CDC-1 and then that will allow us to take care of an additional almost you know 90 kids uh, during the pandemic. So that's a little bit a glimmer of, of a light a silver lining that we might be able to do that and take care of 90 additional children than we thought we might before Um, the situation arose recently. So that's a little bit of of good news.
1: That is good news. But I think the big takeaway, right, but the takeaway um, for patrons really is that for the foreseeable future, the way we do childcare in Fort Meade has changed.
3: Bottom line
2: up front, it it is extremely complicated uh, the way ahead, but I, I don't want to be glib at all we the, the child care for the foreseeable future you know for so we can start with summer day camp summer camp at Fort Meade we are accustomed to having you know 400 children in summer camps it's just not going to be anywhere near 400 this, this summer as a matter of fact if you are not mission essential and you're not in those two top priorities that I described earlier you are probably not going to get care at all this summer and that's the harsh reality the harsh truth um and and we we apologize about that obviously but we just don't have the capacity. So, you know, over the next week or or two the CYS staff are going to be reaching out to the summer day camp patrons who are not going to make the cut, quote unquote, and letting them know that. And, you know, unfortunately again, I'm not I'm not quite sure what their way ahead is going to be because as you mentioned earlier, Sherry, this is not a Fort Meade problem. This is a, you know, actually is a national problem, childcare really, but it's It's certainly one in the state of Maryland and DC, uh, Virginia and Delaware, In so far as all of these areas are reducing capacities based on the same pandemic. So um, it's gonna be a challenge and hopefully folks will be patient and we'll continue to work with them as best we can, providing them with alternatives as best we can um, and, and we'll just do the best that we can with what we have in front of us.
0: Now now that we're looking at the end of the school years and and everything's wrapping up, what what do the summer programs look like?
2: Summer programs look different, Joe. I mean, uh, again, normally right about now we're ramping up. Right about now we are preparing for, you know, three summer camps to be running full day, you know, 200 kids almost in each of those facilities. And, you know, we're just getting ready for field trips. We're getting ready for uh, special events. And, it's just going to be different this year. We're, we're going to be very limited in what we can do for summer. Uh, very limited in how many kids we can provide care for over the summer, and we're going to be very limited in what we can do. You know, it's going to it's going to affect everything because we're not going to be able to go on three, four, five field trips a week. Um, you know, we're accustomed to going to pools, and pools are one of the things right now that are, um, you know, their business is a little di- different than it was six months ago, and in museums and 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 lots of things that we are accustomed to that are just going to be different movie theaters and the like so uh, my staff have been working so hard behind the scenes to try to keep things as quote unquote normal as possible for the kids but um, there's no really way around it other than we're going to provide the best product that we can based on what the center for disease control and prevention has provided us in guidance and Installation management command and of course uh, our, our folks at public health command here locally and we want to keep everybody safe and everybody healthy, and we'll do the best that we can. I mean but it's going to be a different scenario than what we had um, last summer. And I know that's hard for people to hear, and it's, it's, it's sad. You know we've all been kind of sequestered in our homes for quite some time now, we're looking forward to getting out, and the weather's getting nice. Um, but we're still under HP Con Charlie right now as this is being uh, you know as we're having this conversation, and we're limited. <laughs> And and that's just, uh, one of the things I wanted to get out of this interview today was just to be as completely honest as I possibly can. Uh, as somebody who has children, whose kids have been in our programs, um, I completely understand where where our patrons are. Um, if you're not above that cut line, it's going to be, you know, a long summer, and we're, we apologize about that, and we wish things were better circumstances, but they just aren't.
1: And, and that's actually, I was going to say, thank you for your honesty, um, because the truth is it is going to be hard. Um, I have children. Mine are a little bit older. I know Joe's got young children. Uh, so we know what it's like trying to find child care. Um, I couldn't imagine having to do it in these trying times. Uh, so thank you for your honesty and, and being very open about that, even though it's not what anybody wants to hear.
2: Our, our patrons who do get in, Sherry and Joe, um, they also need to continue to have a, a backup plan. I want to mention um, that with COVID still alive and well, um, we want to keep people safe, so if you get child care, if your child were to become sick, um, they would have to go home and be separated from the rest of the group for a period of time, much longer than they used to. The, the old rule was 24 hours, um, and, that, and the new rules is between three and 10 days, and that's a much longer time. So I wanted to get that out there as well so we can prepare people. Um, if your child were to have a, a fever and another symptom, that they could be out of child care for that reason alone for up to 10 days. Um, which is a big change. The change for childcare for those people who will get childcare, I wanted to bring up the fact that th- what it will look like when you are coming back to CYS and that will be um, during HP Con Charlie and HP Con Bravo specifically, we will be doing curbside drop off and pick up. So whether your child is at a CDC or at a school age program, um, you, you as a parent won't actually enter the facility. Uh, my staff will meet you at, at the curb, You'll you'll drive up, Um, and and we'll meet you at the curb. Our pre-screeners will ask you some questions about um, your current health status. And then once you clear the pre-screening, then you will bring your child to the front door where you will assign them in there. And then from there, our staff will take them to their classrooms. Uh, We do that obviously to keep our environment safe and and as healthy as possible. Um, And I think that's uh, noteworthy so that people are prepared for that. The other thing is obviously a lot of people are asking me, you know, what does social distancing look like in childcare? You know, what does that look <laughs> like? So obviously the first thing we've talked about at nauseum is we're gonna go from having, you know, two hundred kids in a building down to eighty. So that right there is way less capacity. But in the actual classrooms, we're gonna still do our best to have the curriculum that we had before. We we wanna still develop children. You know, we, we aren't babysitters at child and youth services. We're in the business of early childhood education and child development. So um, we're gonna still be having our lesson plans completed with children. It's gonna look a little different, you know, we're gonna limit the toys the kids use. A lot of our kids put things in their mouth, especially the younger <laughs> ones. So there's certain toys and certain things that we're gonna do differently, but I just don't, I want people out there to realize um, we're not gonna go from the high quality standard that we had before to, you know, dropping off your kid to sit and and look at the window all day. You know, we're we're still very much proud of the quality childcare that we provide and will continue to provide to the uh, Fort Meade community. Children will, um, at the CDC that stands right now, we're not gonna require children to wear face coverings. Um, It's just bottom line up front, CDC age kids just don't wear masks well. They they don't keep them on well. As a matter of fact, they, they often, touch them or, or take them off and put them in places that make them very much compromised the the dirty so it would be more harm than good but all of our staff where, working with your children will be wearing the appropriate PPE including face coverings uh, using gloves getting hand sanitizer um, we've always been a community at CYS that that puts forward hand washing, so we've always been there with hand washing, we'll continue to do that. Um, but certain things that we'll do differently, we won't have family style dining or anything, we'll feed kids separately and uh, provide them their meals by, by plate versus them uh, preparing their own plates. Um, and we will obviously, uh, all of our high touch surfaces, doorknobs, handles, uh, devices, we will clean those you know, hourly to make sure that everybody is safe.
0: Yeah, thanks, Fran. We we really appreciate you taking your time to to answer these questions. I know you've answered many many questions across our town halls, and I know we'll still have more questions coming in over time. Uh, but we hope this this time we've spent today will will give people a little bit of peace of mind. Um, but we got to remember that you know this w- we may have a new normal to look forward to. Um, so we appreciate your honesty and, and, and clearing things up and helping us at least prepare for it, you know, mentally as much as we can. So thanks for being here with us.
2: No problem. And if you don't mind, I'll I'm, I'm mention one more thing. Um, we also are extremely concerned about children with special needs. Children with special needs um, and their families already have a lot to deal with. Um, just having a child with special needs can be very demanding and very taxing. And, uh, a lot of times you have community support through our exceptional family member program through ACS, and you also have children who are going to school. Well, with, with both of those programs kind of closed right now, and I know that EFMP is working um, teleworking virtually, but it's extremely important that the community realizes that we're here for you. Uh, please call EFMP if you need any kind of assistance. Um, please reach out to us to make sure that, um, you know if you're finding yourself a little burned out, Uh, Get in touch with us, uh, EFMP, we'll we'll talk you through it. It it can be very difficult to be working with children uh, out of your home every day if that's not what you were accustomed to uh, before COVID. We want to, again, keep kids safe uh, and and keep families safe.
0: Fort Meade was built largely in part by farmers willing to make a sacrifice for a nation at war. Those families have a place in this fort's history. But as growth continues, there is concern for the family cemeteries that were a part of that farmland. Sherry Kuyper has the story from the Bethel United Cemetery.
1: Fort Meade, the home of U.S. Cyber Command, the National Security Agency, and more than 100 other tenant organizations. Home to 56,000 employees and the economic engine of the state of Maryland. But prior to 1917, the land that Fort Meade sits on today was thousands of acres of farmland, fruit orchards, wetlands, and woods owned by local families. Those families include Disney, Friedhofer, Phelps, Wagner, Plummer, Clark, Warfield, Sauerhammer, Harmon, and Downs. In 1917, the government purchased this farmland for around $35 per acre from these families. The land that Fort Meade sits on then known as Camp Meade, was chosen based on its proximity to the railroad and the Port of Baltimore, which facilitated trading hundreds of thousands of soldiers and sending them off to the battlefields of Europe during World War I. The magnitude of what these families did, selling their land for the formation of Camp Meade, is not lost on Gerald Glodek, an environmentalist who works for the Fort Meade Department of Public Works. It's like they gave a part of them when they gave their, their, their farm up for our national defense. They were true patriots, because at the time they gave up their farm, the world was, was in chaos. So they gave, they gave a big piece of themselves and, and their family should be very proud of that act, unselfish act, because it's a hard act when you're a farmer. Typical with farms in the early 1900s and before were family cemetery plots, special places on private property to bury loved ones. The family cemeteries on Fort Meade have been carefully and respectfully maintained according to army regulations for the last 100 years. As Fort Meade continues to grow, respect and care for these family legacies continues. One of those family plots belonged to the Downs family, a tobacco and trucking produce farming family like most other farmers in the area. A 480-square-foot plot with two members of the family, William T. Downs and his wife Mary A. Downs, who both died in the mid to late 1800s, has been a part of Fort Meade for more than 100 years on what we today call the East Campus. In the last decade, the NSA's East Campus has grown and continues to do so. William Heine, a resident engineer with the Army Corps of Engineers, said there was concern that the plot would be made inaccessible to visitors. In an effort to protect the remains, a difficult and sensitive decision was made. The remains of Mary and William Downs needed to be relocated.
3: It was originally part of the golf course and kind of segregated as the cemetery within the golf course property. Uh, but since that's become a campus for the agency, you know, we didn't want to have the cemetery in the middle of all these buildings where it may not have been uh, able to get visitors or the respect uh, it may deserve.
1: Matt Boren, the Chief of Military Construction at the NSA, agreed.
0: We wanted to make sure when we went through the process, we were methodical and we were showing as much respect as possible.
1: The process of moving William & Mary was eight years in the making, a coordinated effort by the NSA, Fort Meade Garrison, the Army Corps of Engineers, and many people with different expertise.
3: For the, the excavation, we, we had a, an idea where the, the plot was. We removed the headstone and discovered that it was in the original location as it was set in the 1800s. So we were pretty confident of our location and we went down to a depth about 40 inches until we saw evidence of the casket. And at that point we stopped and hand excavated the rest of it.
1: And when the time came to move William and Mary to their new home, those responsible for the exhumation and reinterment approached the process with dignity and respect. First, a new location had to be selected and the Bethel United Cemetery made the most sense to Boren, as other members of the Downs family were also buried
0: there. One of the things when we, when we first started to talk about the relocation is obviously figuring out where exactly would we relocate them to. Given that they were part of, you know, they were one of the largest families, I believe, that, that sold land to become Fort Meade, really made sense that they kind of stay on what was their ground. And this was their land.
1: This project was also special for bioarchaeologist Kaylee Best because typically she would not see the final result of such a process. Working on this project has been really nice because we actually get to know about William and Mary Downs and know how much and important that it is to the family that we can bring them here. And it's really nice for us to be here today too because we don't often get to come out and kind of see the end result of, of our work. So this has been a really special project for us. As a kind gesture, Kelly brought flowers for the new graves of William and Mary, showing appreciation for the experience. Fellow bioarchaeologist Jessie Spencer says that instead of learning about the family by reading a report, she was able to learn about the family in a very special way.
0: But Actually to be here, to be standing on the land, standing on their
1: land, um, kind of looking over everywhere and saying, okay, so they, this is their house. They lived here. They raised their kids here. Um, So it's just really neat to be able to experience the physical aspect of it, not just reading a report. During the process, the team made some unique discoveries about the Downs family because of their caskets. The team found that both wooden caskets had a viewing glass, which Boren says is very telling.
0: Um, A fair amount of uh, details and ornate features on the casket. Um, uh, So again, a symbol of um, a family that had a bit more means uh, than most.
1: The remains of the two members of the Downs family were reinterred at the Bethel United Cemetery on Rock Avenue here at Fort Meade on Wednesday, June 3rd, joining other members of the family who are also laid to rest here, including their son,
2: James. We have gathered to reinter the remains of William and Mary Downs, who played an important role in the formation.
1: A small ceremony was held, led by Fort Meade Garrison Chaplain Colonel Raymond Robinson.
2: We definitely thank them for their contribution. Uh, Yeah, little did they know that they would be contributing to something that would impact our national defense long term. And so it's really cool to be able to be a part of something like this and what an honor it is to be able to uh, participate in the reinterment of these folks who were part of the shaping and also part of that generation of Americans, right, who gave to the support of the defense of our nation.
1: Following the ceremony, William and Mary were lowered into their graves with their son close by. And moving with them, their headstone, a reminder of the husband and wife, William and Mary Downs, Maryland farmers whose family helped pave the way for Fort George G. Meade. From the Bethel United Cemetery at Fort Meade, I'm Sherry Kuyper, Fort Meade Public Affairs.
0: That's it for this episode of Fort Meade to Be sure to follow us on social media or download the Fort George G. Meade app from the App Store. Please be sure to visit our website at home.army.mil forward slash for up-to-date information on COVID-19.